everybody. Welcome to Strong Christian Female. It's a little cold in my studio today. That's my coat. Um, it's okay though, because I love my studio, hot or cold, and I'm grateful to be here truly with you today. It's still the Christmas season, and I'm going to be infusing this time with different things that I think are just so fun to learn about or just interesting or things that maybe you didn't grow up knowing and I didn't grow up knowing, and I just want to share these because it just saturates the season. And one of the things that might seem out of place, but it's really not, is John the Baptist. Now, who is John the Baptist? Most of you actually know this, but John the Baptist is an incredibly significant figure in the New Testament. In fact, some people say second to Jesus, he's the most significant figure in the Gospels because he's the last Old Testament prophet and he is the first prophet to speak after 400 years of silence. So between Malachi and Matthew, there's four hundred years of God not speaking through prophets. There's no prophecy. There's nothing. And here comes John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist and Jesus technically met in the wombs of their mom. John was uh, given by God to an elderly couple. Now, I thought they were like 35 to 40, but actually church tradition says that Elizabeth may have been in her 80s when she had this child. So it's similar to Abraham and Sarah in the Old Testament where God promises them a child. Zechariah um, was, a, was a priest. I mean, he was considered basically priestly royalty almost as far as like the Jewish church is concerned. He was very, very high esteemed. He was very well favored and loved. And he was one of the priests that was allowed to go into the temple. Um, and a, an angel visits him, right? And, and so strong was this man's doubt of what the angel was telling him that he actually argued it a little bit. And because of his doubt, the angel silenced him. Um, he, he, the angel told him what God wanted the son to be named, that the son was coming. And then I mean, who would believe that? I mean, I'm going to be honest. I, we all beg on all these people who like doubt the Lord, doubt the angels, but like so deep was this man's doubt that this could possibly have it defied what we would call science. There's just, it's just not, plausible. And I'm sure he knew the Holy Scriptures. He knew it had happened to, to Sarah and Abraham. I mean, to Ella, in his mind, maybe he was, th maybe he was thinking, I'm not like Abraham. Why would God bless me? Like even that level of humility, right? And doubt could have been feeding some of that. I'm not good enough to be like my forefather, Abraham, the father of our, the father of our entire faith. So whatever his doubt was, the angel silenced him so that he wouldn't speak doubt into the air, right? He was silenced. It's, it's, it's interestingly similar to when Joshua tells the Israelites, shh, no talking. God didn't tell Joshua, don't make them talk. Now he gave Joshua instructions and Joshua followed them. But the no talking thing actually came from Joshua. And I heard someone say, Maybe it was just because what got them wandering in the desert for 40 years was all the chit chat. And Joshua said, do not talk. Do not doubt what God has told us this time. We just spent 40 years in the desert, y'all. I don't want to do that again. No talking. And the angel silenced Zechariah as well. So here they are. They're, they're silenced, right? He is silenced and he's not talking and his wife is pregnant. And then, of course, she grows the baby in her belly. And then her cousin, Mary, who was made pregnant by an angel, comes, right? And when Elizabeth greets Mary, John the Baptist in her belly flips because this is the mother 
of the Lord. This is the woman who is going to carry Jesus. And it's like the baby recognized the Holy Spirit intuition in this child recognized the presence of someone who had the anointing of the Father God. I mean, that is such a profound and beautiful thing. It is so upsetting to me when we dismiss children because we think they, they get a junior Holy Spirit or they couldn't possibly understand. But the Holy Spirit knows all, no matter what your age is, birth to death. If you have the Holy Spirit presence in your life and children are included in this, they recognize things. And we have to be careful to realize that children know, sometimes deeper than we know, about things that are going on. And that's a little bit of a side note. I'll talk about that another time when, when I'm talking about different things that um, the church needs to address and protect kids. But this baby knew the presence of an anointed person of God when they came in to his little world, literally his tiny little world in the womb. So we have that as the backdrop. Well, there's not a lot known about him when he was little other than his naming. You know, Zachariah could talk again after he, uh, after, after the baby was born and they named him, what God told him to name him, which was John. And he then grew up, we assume, underneath the tutelage of these two beautiful people who loved God with all their heart and who I'm sure poured into them everything they knew. Now, they were elderly, so surely they had passed on by the time John even remotely started any sort of ministry. But, but we have this man who was raised in priestly royalty, right? And he then comes uh, set apart. You know, people were trying to, I've heard different things about John and, and lots of sermons. I actually wrote something about him, so I was researching. And a lot of people recognize that, that I, and I'm going to butcher the name, and I so apologize to all the theologians out there. Um, I believe it's called Hesiatic, but it's basically you set yourself apart even within the sect of, of Judeo um, beliefs. Like you, he went into the desert, right? And it says where he was, was, you know, it's described as just desolate and, and unlivable, like plants can't survive there. But he was living in this unlivable place, right? But people were drawn to him because his message was prepare you the way of the Lord, repent, you know, um, stop doing these things. He called out, he also called out the Pharisees and Sadducees as a brood of vipers. Jesus echoes this thing later in the New Testament. You are a brood of vipers. And what vipers were were these tiny snakes, and I'm assuming they still live today. They look like sticks of wood. So here's a man living in the desert, right? And to stay warm at night, he would have to gather sticks of wood. Anybody living in the desert in that environment would have to gather sticks of wood because it gets so cold at night. Also, they like to um, live in caves. A lot of people who didn't have homes or who were fleeing persecution of the Roman Empire would live in caves. So you go into a cave to be protected or you're starting a fire to survive and you're collecting sticks. And you either go into a cave and, you're, and there's a brood of vipers hiding in there to cool off from the desert sun and they could bite you or you're collecting sticks for warmth and they could bite you and you'll die a slow agonizing death so when he's calling people out and calling them a brood of vipers what he's saying is you hide in safe places or you disguise yourself as something that gives life but when someone comes in contact with you you instill death you infuse death into them that is a powerful thing he was calling out he was 
fearless though. He was so fearless. So here comes his life. People are drawn to him because he's speaking truth. He's a prophet. He's calling things out. He's prophesying things. He's making, prepare you the way of the Lord. And he had all these followers. Well, here comes Jesus, his cousin. We have no idea how many times they've met. In, in life, I don't know. The Bible only records them meeting before they were even outside the womb and then this time. So we don't really know, but it's plausible that they somehow knew each other. I mean, they're literally cousins. So that being said, here comes his cousin, Jesus, Joshua, Yeshua. That's what Jesus's name was. We call him Jesus, but really in the in the Judeo-Christian um <laughs> tradition, his name was actually Joshua, which is a fairly common name, but it's a powerful name. It's a powerful name. Joshua is a powerful name. So here's John and Yeshua, right? And when he comes, even into just the realm of where John is at, people start going to listen to Jesus instead. And John's followers have a problem with this. John's followers are saying, wait a second, who's this guy? He's stealing your followers. And he said, no, I must become less so that he can become more. He was happily letting people go to Jesus. He wasn't, you know, like modern churches, we, we worry about how many people are in our church. It's so ridiculous, you guys. It's such a numbers game. But here's a man who said, I don't care. I just want them to know God. And I will become less so that he will become more. So that's the backdrop of John going into the New Testament. He's this prophet, right? That's linking the Old Testament and the New Testament together. He's literally the bridge of prophecy, the bridge of, of how we're getting from old to new. It's pretty powerful, his life and how you look at it. So then he, of course, acknowledges Christ's authority. He, he hands people over, so to speak, to, to listen to him. And, and he set himself apart. He wears camel's hair. You know, he's eating honey and locusts, you know, that that Judeo-Christian sect that wanted to be even further set apart. He's, he's just t calling out extortion. He's trying to call people to repentance. He's calling out the leaders, which again, Jesus would also do in his passionate ministry as well. Another thing about John that's really important to know is he wasn't a people pleaser, okay? Not only did he call out the religious hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, calling them brood of vipers, he called out Herod. The, the little king of the Jews, right? He was the ruler of the Jewish people and he had Roman protection. So it was like the Jewish king, for lack of a better word, inside the Roman empire. And he called Herod out because he was breaking Jewish law. And he was basically saying, you're not a Jew, you're breaking the law. Well, Herod had him arrested, but not killed. I, I think Herod was intrigued by John. And John was like the one who was telling the emperor he was naked. And the only one who was telling the emperor he was naked. He was the kid going, you're naked. And Herod, I think, was weirdly intrigued by that. Um, and Herod was kind of intrigued by that. And I, I find that really fascinating that he didn't put John to death until um, Salome, I believe her name was, did this dance. I'm assuming pretty provocative little dance. And her mommy, um, Herod's new wife, said, I tell him you want John's head. So Herod offered her anything up to half his kingdom in front of the whole court. He was an idiot. And to save face when this girl asked for John's head, which clearly surprised Herod, to save face, he had just claimed he would give her anything up to half his kingdom. He, he went through with it. So John died a martyr's death, standing up for God's law, for God's 
holiness. And for this man who claimed to be a Jew, who was defiling God's law, he was martyred because he did what was right. Now, Jesus would also, Jesus wouldn't be martyred. Jesus gave himself up for our sins. But John mirrors that idea of standing for holiness in the persecution of the church as well. So he was the last of the Old Testament prophets. He was also an end time prophet. He was he baptized people. Now, John wasn't the only one in those days that baptized people. Uh, he's really the only one that the Bible talks about, but he wasn't the only one. However, his, he had so many followers. He was just pointing them to the Lord, pointing them to the Lord, pointing them to the Lord. Another thing about John that's really interesting is in Malachi, uh, it was said that Elijah will, will uh, return and prepare the way of the Lord. Well, of course, there's no th such thing as reincarnation, so that's not going to happen. And so people were either waiting for like the sky to crack open and Elijah to come down and, but some people actually rumored that John was Elijah reincarnated. He, he squelched that immediately and said, I'm not the reincarnated Elijah. I'm John. But I'm telling you, you need to prepare the way of the Lord. So he metaphorically fulfilled the prophecy of Malachi by being sort of a second Elijah and saying, prepare the way of the Lord. There's just so many interesting, fascinating facets to John's life. But the biggest takeaway I want you to see is that he acknowledges the importance of Christ far above himself. He even, you know, in prison sends his followers to say, are you the Christ? Are you who we've been waiting for? Or are we to look for another? And Christ says, I am he. So John died knowing that his cousin, Yeshua, was Christ, is Christ, is exactly who he saw when he said, prepare you the way of the Lord, I must become lesser so he may become greater. And when he baptized Jesus in the water and the Holy Spirit descended upon him, John was, was one of many witnesses to that. But John was literally the only man like there doing the baptism as far as we know. I mean, God showed himself to John as much as he did Jesus in that moment, proving that he's the Christ. I mean, what a humble position for John to be in. Like your cousin's the Christ. I mean, Come on, you guys. That's like crazy talk. Think of a cousin. Your nicest one. Really? I mean, I'm being fair here to John. But John was humble enough to say, this is, this is he. And even in his doubt, Jesus had such grace. Tell him, I am he. He's the, this is the one we've been waiting for. John wasn't perfect. You know, he, he had even his doubts. But he was honored by God in the way he was born, in the way he set him, and then he honored God in return by setting himself apart in the way he chose to live. And then God continually showed him favor by, if nothing else, witnessing these beautiful things that were happening through his cousin. And because of John's honesty, fearlessness, and humility, he was just set apart in such a beautiful way. And of course, his, his terrible murder, his martyrdom was awful but he didn't back down. He never backed down. And he's such, he's such a, a role model for us today because we are all facing some level of persecution. We're all facing it, whether it's in our schools, whether it's a school board meeting, whether it's a church, whether it's in family members. If we're standing and we are standing our ground in Christ, we're going to be persecuted. But, but an example to pull from John is prepare ye the way of the Lord. Live your life in such a way that you attract people because of your message centered on God, not your message centered on yourself. John never 
proclaimed perfection. John never did any of that. But he was willing to stand in the gap of history to speak truth to people who claimed to be godly but were not. He called it out to their face, you brood of vipers. We are to call out people who claim to be godly but are not. And we are to call out that Jesus, Jesus is who we are to focus on, not ourselves. We are to point the way, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Our lives should be nothing but a window to Christ. We should never stand in the way of someone's salvation by thinking we're, wait, let me, let me tell you about what I do. Let me tell you about how awesome I am. Let me tell you my thoughts on this. No, we just point them to Jesus, 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 Jesus. And when Jesus shows up, you get out of the way. You freaking get out of the way so they can get to him. That's John's life. Now, with all of that in mind, below is a list of scriptures you can dive into and also a beautiful article that's a great study tool um, and, and, and sermons I've listened to. I mean, it's just so beautiful, his life. There's actually a, a beautiful art thing I'll put on there. This, this art of John the Baptist is fascinating over the history of uh, the church. It's actually really interesting. The, the London, I believe it's the London Museum, the Museum of London, did this beautiful series on, they call him the Baptist, um, on the Baptist and his art. And it's really interesting to see the symbolism of this art and how he's both honored, but he's honored in a way that, that is that is to be representative of how we're to follow in his footsteps in honoring Christ. Super interesting if you're wanting to do a deep dive. But one of the reasons it's so important, I think, to celebrate him during the, the Christmas season, even of just acknowledging him, um, is because his mom was so similar to Mary and that even though his mom was not a virgin, his birth was still miraculous. And those two miracle births overlap each other in this Christmas story. And John interjects himself into the story of Jesus because Mary visits Elizabeth and has this beautiful experience with Elizabeth through John, even in the womb, of the acknowledgement of Christ the King. And that's really actually a part of the Christmas story if you think about it. Now, I was asked to write a poem. I don't rhyme things well. It just comes out super cheesy. But a good friend of mine said, hey, we're having this, this, women's, um, this women's gathering. I really want to do something that recognizes Elizabeth. And really, to recognize Elizabeth, you have to recognize John. So really, my focus was mostly to John, but I was putting my place in, in the role of her as the mom. So bear with me, but right here at the end, I'm just going to read it to you, okay? It will appear on the screen, but I want to read it to you. So with that, I want to say thank you for joining us. And here is a poem called Elizabeth, Did You Know? Elizabeth, did you know you would even live to see the day you held your baby boy? Your aged husband met by an angel so strong a current of doubt within him, he was silenced to dam up his refusal to believe. Mute, he stood as your belly and dreams grew to life inside of you. Elizabeth, did you know that your baby, leaping for joy before you even held him in your arms, a sign of knowledge deeper than flesh, would grow to feast on desert insects and be set apart like no other before him? Did you know as you stroked his face, this child born of priestly royalty named by Yahweh would be a man whose lifeblood would be spilt holding to truth? Would you have changed a single thing knowing this? Would your prayers have faltered, your longing ceased? To know that your baby boy would die such a violent death as angels stood in heaven 
waiting with crowns to adorn the head taken by a king. Did you know that your child set apart with royal strength would grow to be a fearless warrior, calling out those who dare to hold the title of leader and cleansing fellow humanity of their sins with liquid repentance? Did you know your truth-bearing boy would drink of honey, call out vipers, fulfill prophecy foretold and herald in the Messiah? History's greatest prophet, who broke God's silence and skins of cloth, would witness his cousin Yeshua as God's spirit fell upon him. This boy whom you prayed for, whom you held and kissed and loved and cherished, would pave a way and become lesser for God to become greater. Did you know that centuries would pass and his place in history would remain forever an example of all lovers of God to follow? Millions still know his name. A truth screamer, king defier, fearless warrior, persecuted son who set apart himself and paved a way to stand for truth so others can follow him to the foot of Christ and pass into eternity to live forever in paradise.